You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. This is Ben Wolf, your host, uh, back from a little hiatus, uh, missing episodes for the last few weeks. So happy to be back and sharing with you guys uh, from our guest how anyone can hire ridiculously successful people. That is what we're going to talk about today with our guest. Uh, remind everybody to subscribe, leave a review on this win-win podcast. And uh, with that, I want to get into introducing our guest today, who is the CEO of Stride Search. He's also the author of the recently released book, Healing Career Wounds, Your Startup's Secret Weapon to Attract, Hire, and Retain Ridiculously Successful People. And who wouldn't want to retain ridiculously successful people in the show notes and description and social media. We're going to share the link to get that book. Uh, he's also the host of the Higher Power Radio Show and Podcast, Higher spelled H-I-R-H-I-R-E, Higher Power Radio Show and Podcast. Share the link to that too. You can find out more about him at stridesearch.com. And I give you Rick Gerard. Welcome, Rick. Hey, thank you, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I do appreciate you making the time to, to come on here. And if you don't mind starting off with what I ask all my guests to start off with, which is what is a quick two minute background and story on like, how did you, you know, how did you come to be talking about this topic, hiring ridiculously successful people, hiring processes? Like, how, how, did, how did you get here today? What's your quick two minute background? Yeah, totally. Um, so my background's in retained executive search primarily. I've been doing that for a good part of my career. I started out um, actually building tech companies in the Silicon Valley. Uh, and I've been in that realm for probably the past well, 300 years or so. It feels like I look really good for 300 years old, huh? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, right. Sorry, if you're on, if you're only on the audio podcast and not the YouTube version, uh, you might not get that one. But Rick, yeah, I had uh, hair before I started the job, and you know, okay, that's you I know, think. getting people now I'm bald as a as as. Well, yeah, I'm pretty shiny today. I shaved. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I've been doing executive search. I found that the biggest problem in hiring uh, really isn't like, you know, finding the people. It's actually interviewing the people and understanding how to interview people to like um, to, to extract the right data to support whether or not you even should make the hire. Um, there's very little evidence that that is gathered during the interview process. And so what we started seeing just sequentially was, you know, the problems in the interview process and I set out to fix them so that we can make it easy for people to extract really great data and uh, be able to also attract those key players, those really strong players in order for the company to be successful. All right. So that Sounds good. I guess and it goes into the first question I was going to ask, which is, you know, what are these problems and these challenges most people face in hiring? Like, what's wrong? Like, why doesn't why doesn't the interview method? It sounds like that's the main problem for your perspective. So, why doesn't the interview method that people use work? And like, what do most people see happening? Like, what will they see in their own lives and in their own businesses? Uh, that might indicate, you know, the, the you know, uh, uh, an improvement, for, you know, based on the kind of stuff that you're going to be teaching us today. Sure. 
So, you know, if you think about the interview, the modern day interview process, um, it's very transactional, meaning it's, hey, we've got a job, we need somebody who has XYZ skills. And if you've got those skills, then you're, you're welcome to join us, right? Like it's, like it's a big, um, like, like it's, you know, an honor to work for that company, right? And I don't think that, uh, that people tend to look at that anymore that way. Like, you know, you know, most companies are not Google, they don't have a name brand. Um, they're all fairly similar. So um, it, there, there's really nothing that's super attractive to people, especially people who are top performers who aren't actively looking for jobs. Um, so you've got this process that's completely transactional, and then you've got um, a kind of outdated, really like best practices, I guess, within uh, the hiring industry that, that, that really don't work. Like, for example, the resume, right? Like you send a resume in and then somebody like evaluates your resume for whatever they're looking, they think they're looking for. And then they're making a judgment call and then inviting you in or making a phone call. Well, the problem is the resume, resumes lie, right? Like there's, there's, there's uh, inherent problems with stuff that's on the resume and then stuff that's omitted from the resume. So it's not really an accurate tool. The, the best thing, in my opinion, is uh, of a resume is just being able to see kind of the career trajectory of somebody um, and then get their contact information so I can give them a phone call. Mm -hmm. um, you can't tell from a resume whether or not you have somebody who's a high performer or not. So what ends up happening is that a lot of high performers don't take the time to write a resume because they don't want to or they don't need to. So if you're basing it on something that they don't really have to do and then you're making it like having them jump through hoops to do it, uh, they're going to automatically just jump ship and not not continue the process. Right. So you've got a lot of these issues. You've got a lot of these hiring practices that are designed to screen out really good people as well as really bad people and basically help you to bring forth me mediocre people or people who are like kind of desperate for a job or, you know, whatever the, whatever the premise is, not to say you won't find some good people that way, but it's a needle in haystack more so than, than attracting really strong people. Right. Well, two things, two things that makes me wonder is number one, are you, are you, are you basically advocating like, not, like not, not to require resumes, you know, because then you'd be essentially weeding out the most talented people or passive candidates. And second is uh, like what have when people do hire in the traditional ways that you're describing, like, well, what happens? What's the outcome from that? What are people facing or seeing because they do that? So the first question, am I advocating for not having resumes? I didn't, I didn't hear yet your hiring methods. So we, we didn't yeah. get to that yet. But. So I, I'm going to say, yes, I hate resumes. Um, they're a necessary evil. But the, the truth is, like, um, don't use them in the interview process. I think that's where we get stuck. People see things that they're like, oh, you went to XYZ school or you worked at this company. And then they center the interview around that whole Mm -hmm. The conversation is about based on that, that stuff. The problem is that you're not the only one who's doing it. It's the other three people 
who are talking to this person before and after that are going, well, walk me through your resume, right? And um, it, it completely downgrades in the candidate's eyes or the person who's interviewing with you, like the value of the company because of the fact that like, you're just, you don't have a really challenging or even remotely like unique interview process in any sort of way. It's just kind of the same standard stuff, right? So you're just kind of really, again, you're giving somebody a mediocre experience mm-hmm. and, and hoping that they're going to join you. And maybe that's, maybe that's a good time to get into. Okay. So like walk us through, like, I guess, starting at a high level, we could maybe get into more details and examples afterwards. Yeah. We got a high level. I know you have this higher OS, H-I-R-E-O-S yep. uh, method for hiring. So tell us about it. what are the main elements of that that people should think about using? Okay. So one of the things that we found works really, really well is that, you know, interview questions should be deliberate and they should be tied to something. And when I say tied to something, they need to be tied to your core company values, right? So we all kind of have these ideas when we start up companies, we're going to build around these values. There are a lot of companies that are now making a very big push to be values-driven organizations and decisions are made and how, you know, how decisions are made and how people are treated and how customers are treated is all around those values, right? So your interview questions should be designed to extract data to support whether or not somebody actually lives those values. And, you know, we all have different ways in which we, we uh, value things. Like we all have different values. And I don't think it's uh, independent to any sort of, it's just, it's just like everybody's different, right? So, but everybody shares different values and there's not a whole lot of different values, but when you, when you have values that are kind of built into the organization and people align really well with them, then what ends up happening is those people thrive in that environment. And I would argue, and there's a, there's quite a bit of data out there that supports that most people who don't make it within an organization or end up leaving tend to be more uh, in a misalignment with the values of the company than they are, or the culture, however you want to label it, than they are with the actual skills. Right. What, can you give a couple of examples of what asking questions based on values looks like? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the operating system that we developed is basically, so you start with the core values, you build your job descriptions, and then you build the interview questions around those values. So in the job descriptions, you put a lot of that language into the job description. The interview questions we build are um, behavioral questions that are designed to get to the core of whether or not somebody aligns with the organization. So I'll give you an example of that. Um, so let's say you have a, um, I just did the, one of these for a client a little while ago. Um, let's say one of your values is integrity, right? And that's like, that's one of your core values of the company. We want to do everything with integrity. Well, when I, what, what, the, what does that mean exactly? So you're going to define down what integrity means to your organization, to the leadership, and then define some measurables to it, right? So, um, one of the one of the things that uh, we drilled down on with one of our clients was that uh, as far as integrity, they didn't want people. They wanted people who are fairly honest and who are honest and did not lie. Right. 
And so lying was a big issue. So uh, one of the questions we came up with was, you know, walk me through a time when somebody asked you to lie. And so what behavioral questions are designed to do is give you an idea of how somebody experienced a problem, how they dealt with it, how they felt about it, um, and what they did about it and what, was, what the result was. So it gets into the into a more uh, in-depth like uh, view of who the person is, as opposed to whether or not they just bring skills to the table. Right. Yeah. Do, do most of them? Do most of them start off with walk me through a time when, and then it'll be a scenario where, you know, that relates to each of the core values. Yeah. Yeah. Walk me through a time when, or tell me about a time you did this, or, um, yeah. You know, there, there's actually like a few different ways to start it, but they're open-ended questions mm -hmm. designed to, to gather evidence. Right. We have, let's say I have, a, I have a client where customer obsession is the core value, right? The people that like, if the customer, you know, if a customer complains about something or they're, you know, bothered about something that will give you no rest, you like won't even sleep at night until like the issue is resolved. Like you're just yep. obsessed with customer. So give an example where that would be like, I don't know how you might interview for that core value. And by the way, I think they, they borrowed that from Amazon, right? Cause um, that's, a, that's Amazon's number oh, one leadership principle. Yeah. Okay. So this I is, they don't actually island. use that language. I don't remember. Actually, I don't even remember what the actual language they are uses, but I like that phrase better. So I'm using it. But customer obsession. Totally. Totally. So, you know, walk me through time. You had I, got it. I, I stole it from Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah. And actually, you know, it's funny because, you know, behavioral interviews, Amazon probably uses them better than any large company out there. And in about 70 to 80% of the hiring decision is based on how well you align with their values. So is that even at the lower level, I'm pretty like pickers, sure it is. Picker packers and stuff like that. I don't know. Maybe I, I would imagine it would be. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I know it's, I know it's pretty important. I I don't know to what level they have flexibility, but yeah. Um, so with customer obsession, I think actually one of their questions is like, walk me through a time and you had a difficult customer, right? And then you really drill it's very, down, like and, not too much detail, just like very, like yeah. let them think of an example. Yeah, yeah. And actually prep your people for it too. prep the people that, Hey, look at this. These are the questions that we're going to ask you. There's, you know, we only assign people three to four questions per interview and it's your job to go deep underneath the hood and understand exactly what, you know, who this person is. And the, um, the thing is where, where, where people mess up with behavioral questions is they get an answer and they go, Oh, that's a pretty good answer. And then they let it go and they move on to the next one there's no reason to like, you need to, you need to go into, you need to go deep. You need to understand like, okay, well, why did you, you know, understand right. somebody's or they tell you they did this. Well, why'd you do this and not that? Yeah. 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 So, and then, you know, you can go into like, so walk me through this customer experience. Um, so what made you choose to, you know, run that route? Um, so walk me through each individual step that you did to get, make this person happy. Right. Um, and that's actually like, you know, what ends up happening in behavioral interviews and why a lot of interviewees don't really like them so much is because it's, a, it, 
people get tripped up, right? Because it's easy to hide in a high level surfacey interview, but it's not with behavioral interviews because, you know, then as you get underneath the hood, like what exactly did you do? Well, you know, I didn't really do much on that. I handed it off to somebody else. And so you, you find a lot of the truth, which is what, what is missing. And that's actually the goal of each interview is to get to mm -hmm. the truth of who this person is. That's the most right. important thing. Right. That's very cool. I mean, look, there's more we could go into that. So in addition to asking behavioral questions related to core values, maybe three or four per interview, what, and then going deep in them, what else is part of, what are other, some of the other elements or steps in the higher, higher OS? So the, the components are, uh, yeah, I'll give you the components. So it starts with core values, right? Uh, from there, uh, it filters into what we call a discovery call. So for example, you know, like I said, I, I don't like resumes, um, but I like having conversations with people. And I think it's really important to discover whether or not somebody is, um, a, you know, a top performing individual or whether or not they've made an impact in their current role. So the discovery call is, is more about understanding a person's positioning, meaning like what they want to do in their career, mm -hmm. why they are looking for something new, and then understanding the impact that they've made in their current or former organization. And impact isn't just their job, it's something above and beyond their, you know, they're pushing buttons on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. High performers tend to find things to do and they tend to do, know exactly how they did it. And they tend to, um, they, they tend to make an impact within the company. Mm -hmm. So what well, I guess if, and if you have any stories or examples of how people or you have used, you know, I guess this, uh, the screening interview process mm -hmm. to focus on a di different types of things than you mentioned in the interview itself. Right, which is, you know, under, I guess understanding it sounds like their story. Like if you have a story that, that I can get my head around that makes sense, why you're here, why are you looking? Like, yeah. you know, and, and like yeah. you said, what impact did you make? Uh, so if you have any examples or stories about that, or if you could explain a, little, a drop more about what does it mean impact is that on a deeper level than in your job? Like, what do you mean by that? Okay, so I, we run off like three pillars, pain, desire, and impact, right? So let's for first, in order for somebody to really make a move from where they are, there has to be some sort of career wound, right? There has to be a reason why somebody would be open to talking to you. Right. And then, you know, most people will, you know, there's 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 been statistics out there running for years that, and actually we're we're experiencing the great resignation right now. So um, there are a lot of people that are open to switching jobs for various you know reasons. A lot of people stuck it out through COVID. Now the COVID's kind of passed. Now they're now now they're excited to move on to something new. So um, so somebody's got to have some desire, like some reason why they want to make a move. Right. right. Um, second is the desire. So people will they'll they should be able to tell you exactly is what it is they want to do from the type of company they want to work with, the type of work they want to do and the type of culture they do well in, right? Mm -hmm. So if you get, you know, you get somebody telling me, telling you that, hey, look at, I'm looking for a very large company where I can kind of just go in, do my nine to five, clock out and go home. And you're, you're, you're a startup and you're hiring somebody like that. Wouldn't you want to know that before you bring them in there for an interview? So 
that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're actually setting up a kind of system of checks and balances with that to understand, well, okay, this person's positioned well for the organization. Let's bring them in for an interview. Right. And then the impact is, is their time then to like market to you to brag a little bit about themselves and what they've done. And, you know, most people don't do this very well. I, I don't market myself very well, but um, the truth is, you know, when I'm walking through like one specific project that I did, it was impactful to the company and I can talk about exactly what I did and how I did it, then that gives me a really good snapshot as to what type of person I have. Do I have somebody who's a builder, which if you're a startup, you want builders, you, you don't really want people who are, you know, maintainers, right? You, know, you just want to come in, sit down there for nine to five and then leave. Right. Well-established, highly highly yeah. regulated pro process. Yeah. And those people are great, but they're like, they're not good for in certain roles. And if you put like a maintainer in a startup and, and expect them to build something, you're setting them up for failure. And that happens all the time when I see people pulling people out of like, you know, Google and Facebook who have all these resources and these huge teams and they want right. them to like start being scrappy and, and, and start up something from, you know, from nothing. Right. And so you just set people up for failure that way. Right. And then, and then, you know, then we get the um, additional questions and then, you know, we want to understand who the person is and what's important to them in that discovery call. And if, if we align, then we connect the dots for them. We let them know where we align. We let them know where we don't align and um, then ask them what they'd like to do. So, you know, here's where I see your fit. Here's where I see you're not a fit. What do you think? What would you like to do? And most people mm -hmm. at that point will either say, you know, hey, you're probably right. I'm not I'm not a fit. Um, actually, most people say, hey, uh, you know, if you make it through that full conversation, they're gonna be like, yeah, well, I'm interested. Let's let's talk. And then you're bringing somebody into a different experience. Right. And what they're getting from everybody else. Right. And that's right. so important, because if you're trying to set your special little company up, as something that's like great, then don't do the same thing that everybody else is doing. You know, bring them in, you know, don't have questions prepared that you're going to ask them, just kind of like wing it and then expect that somebody's going to be, you know, super attracted to your company at the end of the process. A lot of times they're scratching their head. They're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't think we could have paid them enough. They went somewhere else and they look for ways to justify it. Right. The truth is the person didn't accept your offer because you gave them a horrible interview experience. Like they didn't see any reason or any value in joining your company. That's it. Mm -hmm. So you, you have the screening interview, kind of get the context, see if it's, see if it makes sense to, to invest both sides time in, yeah. in a real interview. You have an interview that's based not on resume, but they should be making an interview that has, you know, maybe three to four behavior-based questions related to your core values. Um, what, uh, you, you know, maybe we can cover one other element uh, or, or a story if you, if that makes sense, you know, of, of people, of someone using this. Uh, one yeah. more, are there any other elements of this higher OS? Like we mentioned those two well, then there, categories yeah. of elements. Yeah, so the four, the four steps, sorry, I didn't mention that. So it's like the values first, then the discovery call, then the interview. And the okay. interview is broken down into kind of, um, 
we do 45 minute interviews with each person. They're assigned four questions. One of them is usually a knockout question. So three of the interviews are gonna be, you know, we do between three and four, depending on the size of the company. But the first interview would be a cultural value alignment. The second one would be like, we need to test somebody's skills and make sure that they're a fit and they bring the, the right acumen to the company, right? Uh -huh. So we actually do that in the form of a working session as opposed to like a coding test or doing some other kind of- What is that? What's a working session? So a working session would be, here's a problem we're having. So we, we actually create like a, a specific problem. Maybe it's a problem their company's trying to solve right now. And we bring them in um, for a few hours and they work with the team to solve the problem. And a lot of my clients will actually pay the person for that, that day so they can come in and like they're actually working. Wow. And they're working with the team to see how they communicate, how they problem solve, how well the they grasp. minimum level where that sort of interview works? Because I would imagine that for certain levels of hires that might you know, like a whole day for an interview, like, I don't know, that, I don't know if it's so strange. I don't know, it sounds very unexpected. No, it's not a whole day. It's not a whole day. Very half a day, even whatever, more yeah. than an interview, you know, and working and paid, like, it's very unusual, you know? And so I guess, is there a minimum level of, of employee where that makes sense or that really works? Your experience tells you at any level. Well, it works at any level. I mean, you don't have to go a whole day if you're hiring somebody who's a driver, right? You just... Kind of have to have, bring them in you could probably get that knocked out in an hour but you know for staff level positions let's say you know i do a lot of software engineering mm -hmm. uh, type companies so like software engineers to get you know three hours in with somebody um is great and you can actually they can work through and you know do a design meeting or do some sort of meeting that would um would give them a really good snapshot of how how they interact with the other people can you test their skills wow. yeah so it works really well you know at the leadership level as well because then you're putting them in with the other leaders and you're walking through an actual challenge that you're having um so well you know, yeah I, that is that is certainly that certainly stands out like if that's my second yes. interview right that <laughs> That certainly, yeah. that certainly stands out. And obviously, and it's, and with all of this, like it really, like people are so underwater very often, right? With everything that they have going on. And so to put this much work into, you know, to put this much work into the preparation and the execution of an interview process, it's a, it's a real investment. It's a little bit of an investment of time up front, but once you have that structure in place, it actually is easier. Because if you think about it, what ends up happening is, oh, oh crap, we have an interview coming in tomorrow too. Are we prepared? Oh no, we need to get all our stuff together. And then it's like, you know, they're, they're trying yeah. to figure out, oh, did you make reservations for lunch? And, you know, do we have the conference rooms booked? And so it's a lot of, um, you, you know, it's, a, it's, it's basically taking a lot of the, oh God, what am I gonna ask somebody when they get here? And, and making it really easy for them to, to ask the questions they're assigned and gather the data they need to gather and then make the right decision. You know, and the other thing is we can make the decision on the spot based on, based on whether or not they align with the values as opposed to making biased decisions that are based on your interpretation of whatever conversation that you had. Right. 
And a lot of this sprung out. Uh, I, I tell this story every once in a while, but I had a, I had a CEO one time who I sent him a VP and they had a meeting. They met for like 45 minutes and I was debriefing with the CEO afterwards. And I said, okay, so how did it go? He goes, oh, it went great. I really like the guy. We should hire him. I go, well, why? What'd you guys talk about? He goes, oh, we spent about 40 minutes talking about the Oakland A's. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, that was my, that was my light bulb that went off in my head that like, look at, um, All right. that's what our hiring decisions are based on. Yeah. So yeah. True. It's based, based on bias. Do I like right. you? Yes. All right. I'll hire, I'll give you a shot. And that's just like, you know, and then you have, you have this expectation and then they have this expectation and it never meets. And so then you, right. this is why I like hiring statistics are so low. Like if you don't really have a structured interview process, you only have a 49% chance that you'll make the right decision. Right. So you're better wow. off just going in, flipping a coin, going <laughs> heads you're hired, tails you're not. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I mean, look, I know there's a lot more we could go into this. I mean, Healing Career Wounds is Rick Gerard's book. Let me check that out. We're sharing the link. I just want to ask one more question. There you go. If you're on the if you're on the video version, he's holding it up so you see exactly what it looks like. Looks like a tiger, like ripped out the the front of the book or something. So <laughs> look for that on uh, Amazon or wherever you get books, uh, and I'll share the link as well. But um, but one other question, which is that you know you're, you're you're involved in hiring great people, and you know as you know and as the listeners and viewers of this podcast know that this podcast is now linked to Fractional Leadership, right? Which is really yep. my new book, Fractional Leadership, Landing Executive Talent You Thought Was Out of Reach. Um, and so, so I'm curious to get your, your perspective, Rick, on, you know, on when you're working with your clients and, you know, you know, what happens when there's an executive level hire because Fractional Leadership really is focused on when you have an executive level need, um, but you can't afford, you're just not big enough, you can't afford somebody full-time for that role yet, but you need somebody more experienced than whoever you have on your leadership team right now. Um, yeah. And so, you know, have you seen, have you seen people using fractional leadership? Like, I don't know, what was your experience in this, you know, in this space? Oh, I have, and, and I do. And, you know, I subscribe to, there's a great article that was put out by a guy named Steve Newcomb quite a uh -huh. few years ago. It's, you can find it on medium.com, but it's, it's actually, it's called cult creation cult creation yeah okay. and he's the guy who he he built a company that is now bing right like microsoft's bing they were they were acquired but um one of the one of the concepts that he had in there is is um rent gold before you hire silver uh -huh. right and right. um yeah oh, i think it's why buy silver when you can rent gold right and the, i could see the, his point i mean i see where he's going with that <laughs> Yeah. And the premise behind it is, uh, and I subscribe to it. I mean, you know, like if you don't have enough work to keep somebody going full time, hire the best um, part time or like, you know, a fractional leader, fractional, like, you know, I see it happening a lot on the CFO side, right? Fractional right. CFOs. Um, but hire the best person you can on that side. It's not as costly and it's, it, it saves you just a ton as far as 
making a bad hiring mistake, right? Um, well, why, why is that? Why does it save you from making bad hiring mistakes or why is it a better investment than renting silver, so, so to speak, like a lower, a lower cost person full time without as high of a level of experience? Well, I believe that, again, if we just run out the statistics that we make bad hiring decisions 51% of the time, um, if somebody refers you a good fractional person and you know they're good because you've got, you know, you've got referrals in from them. Uh, and, and again, a fractional person, you can you can part ways with very quickly and find somebody else if there's any sort of problem. But once you bring somebody on as an employee, now it becomes a lot more problematic. And, right. um, you know, I'm not a big fan of um, I, I think you should hire people slow and then don't fire, like don't fire people because it mm -hmm. means you made the right hiring decisions. Um, another, I think that was another cold creation thing that I pulled out of there was that he said, hire, hire slow and fire slower, -er -er, right? <laughs> -er -er. -er -er. Because if you, you know, if you actually like, if you take the time and you do a good hire, you don't have those problems, you know, then right. you're cultivating relationships with people and uh, you're building, you're, you're building a lot of uh, rapport with all the people that you have working for you right. because they see that you're hiring the strongest people for the organization. Right. 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 I mean, yeah, in terms of hiring, in terms of getting the right people, like you mentioned, getting a good referral for somebody, even who's fractional, who's at much higher level than you'd be able to afford full time. Yeah, I mean that's 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 the whole idea of why why I set up with fractionalleadership.io. It's a vetted referral platform, right? So I have, you know, I'm I'm even if you don't have a friend who's used somebody who's the kind of fractional and you know executive or leader that you need, you know, we have you know a wide and deep bench of people from all different backgrounds, all different industry experiences who we vetted. I mean, we've talked to three of their references, everybody who's in the network. Which you know, trying to make that available to everybody. But um, but that's interesting, and I never heard those phrases before. Those yeah, those uh, mantras. You know, you know, rent gold before you hire silver. It's really interesting, and that, and that does allow you because if you do have a good fractional leader in there, that allows you to be go slower about about hiring because you're not as desperate. Like you have you have help, and they yeah. can also they can also they'll know more about what a good if it's a CFO for example they'll know more about what a good CFO looks like to help you in the hiring process than you would on your own trying to hire a good CFO. Well, yeah, and you you also have the ability now to if the, if they work out, you know, and and there's you know, you kind of learn as you're working with them whether or not there's some value alignment. Um I, I, I always say like, though, don't just hire somebody. I mean, like have this conversation with them and actually interview them and understand them as well. Don't just say, well, you know, Joe recommends them, so we should hire them. Because um, again, you know, you're going to have problems there too, if you don't. You mean follow you the same process essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Makes sense. Exactly. And then, Values you know. based questions and screening interview questions, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I'm building a startup right now. And, and one of the things that like, I'm, I'm renting a couple people right now, I'm renting some gold. And my, my, uh, my challenge is, you know, after, you know, I already have vetted them and I've done them for a while, but like my challenge is that now it's up to me to 100% uh, 
like show the value so that they want to join. Right. Right. Awesome. Yeah, no, this is really interesting. I think, you, you know, obviously you shared some great uh, knowledge and insights. You can get more about Rick uh, Gerard and, and what he's teaching in a lot more detail, obviously, than what we're able to cover in this short interview. But Healing Career Wounds uh, on Amazon, wherever you get books, uh, stridesearch.com. Also, you can find out more about him. He, he, has, uh, he has certainly has offerings as well in terms of helping you formulate all this stuff so you don't have to figure it out on your own just based on the book. Uh, so you can get his help or his company's help on that. Uh, so you definitely reach out for that. And uh, I definitely appreciate you coming on. And, and thanks for being here today. Dude, thanks for having me. It was, I, I, love, uh, I love sharing great content with, with you and other people, for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you making the time. And uh, we will see everybody else on the other side. Thank you. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.